27 years and counting now since the Dallas Cowboys have made it to the Super Bowl. <laughs> 27 years. It's a long time to wait, which is why we're going to talk about patience this morning. Actually, that's not why we're going to talk about patience. Let me explain what we're doing. At the beginning of the year, I encourage you all to email me a word that you want God to be working in your life over the course of the year. And uh, every now and then, we come to breaks in my sermon calendar, and this week is one of those breaks. And so I thought, what better thing could I do occasionally throughout the year than to preach on the most frequently requested words that you submitted to me? And number one on the list is patience. The number one most requested word for 2023 of the words that you submitted to me is patience. And so today we're going to talk about patience. I want you to open your Bible up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're just going to look at one verse together this morning, uh, but it's jam-packed with tremendous wisdom regarding patience. I like what Margaret Thatcher once famously said. She said, I am extraordinarily patient, provided I get my own way in the end. (laughs) So this morning, we're going to talk about patience. We're going to look at three things there on your outline. Number one is we're simply going to define the term. What is patience? And what does the Bible mean when it uses that word patience? Second, we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, one verse on dealing in patience with people. And then third, we're really going to talk application about what it is to practice patience today. Uh, so first, let's just, as we look at number one in your outline, let's define the term patience. When the Bible uses that word patience, what is it describing? What is biblical patience? And to put it simply, there really are two main categories for patience that we see in the New Testament specifically. Two main concepts that are translated into the word patience. The first main concept I'm going to call circumstantial patience. Circumstantial patience. This is patience we need connected to our circumstances in life. This word is most often translated as endurance. Endurance. It's connected with the idea of hope. When we look to the future, perhaps escaping the circumstances we're in. In the New Testament, this word for patience or endurance, it's often associated in the context of suffering. Its opposite is really despondency, just giving up, losing hope. But the other word, the other main concept we see in the New Testament that's translated as patience is relational patience. Relational patience. This particular concept is translated into the English word patience most often. It's connected with people. And it's also connected with the concept of love. Simply put, when we're patient with people, it's an extension of our love to them. The opposite of this relational patience is often anger, frustration, 
or even revenge. And it's the second idea of patience, this relational patience that I'm really going to focus on this morning. But what I want you to realize is often our circumstantial patience has an impact in our relationships as well, right? So often, even in our circumstances, maybe we're having a rough day, maybe you got stuck in traffic on 635 or 75, maybe you had a hard day at work, maybe your boss was rough on you, maybe you're frustrated with the stock market or the post-COVID supply chain, or maybe you have more serious circumstantial frustrations. Maybe you have a health diagnosis, a cancer But even in those circumstantial areas of our life, if we're honest, we allow the frustration in our circumstances to impact our relationships with people, right? In other words, we take out our circumstantial frustrations in a relational context. So... Relational patience is really the main area that I want us to consider this morning. And to look specifically at that, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is a remarkable verse that the Apostle Paul gives to us to help us navigate through our impatience. And here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14, Paul gives three categories of people. And then he gives us, he tells us how to love them well, how to be patient with them. And then he says, be patient with them all. Three categories of people, people who are having behavioral issues, who are having emotional issues, and who are having spiritual issues. Paul raises these three main relational issues Sources of impatience, behavioral, emotional, spiritual. He then tells us specifically how to meet each of those areas. And then he says, be patient with everyone. Notice 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Let's take a look here specifically at what the Apostle Paul says. First of all, notice in verse 14 at the very beginning, he says, we urge you, brethren. We urge you, brethren. We beg you, brethren. Paul knows that what he's asking here is not easy. This is not our default nature to do what Paul says here. Instead, by nature, we're, we tend to grow impatient with one another. So Paul urges the brothers and sisters there in the church in Thessalonica. And then after urging them, he lists three categories of people, three types of people, you might say, who test our patience. And the first one we see there, Paul says, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Admonish the unruly. Who are the unruly? 
This particular word, unruly, it's an interesting word. It's used to describe people who are struggling behaviorally. Their behavior is lacking order. It's out of line with what is expected societally, or in this context, in the church. People who uh, perhaps are just struggling with uh, fitting in the expectations of normal church conduct. This particular word, unruly, is used in other contexts to describe insubordinate soldiers who don't do what they're told. Paul uses this word to describe people who refuse to work when they're physically able to. We see this word used to describe people who don't follow the expected social rules of conduct. People who don't meet the financial needs of their parents, who fail to live up to the requirements of their contract for work, or people who don't observe normal order and common law in a society. This is a word that's loaded with behavioral and sociological implications. People who struggle dealing with other people and dealing with society in general. This is the unruly. And notice what Paul says. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly. Admonish or warn the unruly. This word for admonish or warn uh, really describes alerting people to the consequences that lay ahead for them. If they continue on this course of behavior, here is what's going to happen. You admonish them, you warn them, you tell them what consequences lay ahead of them. Now, by the way, this can be and should be done in a spirit of gentleness. We see in Acts chapter 20, Paul admonishing the Ephesian elders, warning them of what will happen. So practically speaking, when someone you know is out of line behaviorally or relationally, they're to be admonished, they're to be warned about what will come of them. The second group of people Paul mentions here, 1 Thess 5, 14, we urge you, brethren, Encourage the faint-hearted. Encourage the faint-hearted. Who are the faint-hearted? That word faint-hearted, you could translate as little-souled. Little-souled. These are people who are struggling with a sense of inadequacy. They're trembling under the weight of life's problems. We might say that they're discouraged, debilitated, depressed, or blue. These are people who are struggling really internally. Remember, the unruly are those who are struggling externally with other people and and the normal conduct of life. But the faint-hearted are people who are struggling internally. They're struggling emotionally. And notice what Paul says. We urge you, brethren... Encourage the faint-hearted. See, the faint-hearted are not going to respond to a word of admonishment like the unruly will. But the faint-hearted, on the other hand, need some encouragement. 
That word for encourage literally means to speak alongside. It's used to describe people who offer comfort and consolation to those who are hurting. You could use a synonym like advise or encourage, console, comfort, speak calming words to or soothe. The faint-hearted are people who need encouragement. They need an affirming word, a warm embrace, a shoulder to lean on, or perhaps a shoulder to cry on. So Paul says, I urge you, brethren, encourage the faint-hearted. The third category that Paul mentions here, he says, we urge you, brethren, help the weak. Help the weak. Now, a big question here is what does Paul mean when he uses the word weak? In this particular word, it can be used to describe people who are physically weak or people who are sick. But I think what Paul has in mind here is the way he uses it in many contexts. He uses this word weak to describe people who are spiritually weak. They don't yet understand the freedom that they have in Christ. In Paul's day and age, these were people who were struggling to come out of the legalism of Judaism and to embrace their faith in Jesus. Paul uses this word to describe people who are still hung up over eating meat sacrificed to idols or obeying certain days of the week. In our context, it might be people who are just a little behind you spiritually. They're new to the faith. They're still learning what it is to follow Jesus, the freedom they have in him. Perhaps it's people you and I know who grew up in a legalistic background. And for them, they're still just trying to do all the right things and obey all the right rules. This is a word that's loaded, in other words, with spiritual implications. People who are struggling spiritually. The unruly are struggling behaviorally. The faint-hearted are struggling emotionally. And here I think the weak are describing people who are struggling spiritually. And notice Paul's counsel. He says, we urge you, brethren, help the weak. Help the weak. The word for help here means to cling to, to hold fast to, to be devoted to. It's often associated with the idea of love. So if the weak are those who are struggling spiritually, then to cling to, hold fast to, be devoted to those who are struggling spiritually, this means we come alongside them. We disciple them. We instruct them and teach them on what it is to follow Jesus and the freedom that we have in him. I mean, notice as you look just at this one verse, Paul addresses so many situations in life people who are struggling behaviorally, societally, people who are struggling emotionally, people who are struggling spiritually. And he gives specific counsel on how to deal in each and every one of those situations. And then he says at the end of verse 14, be patient with everyone. The ESV translation puts it, be patient with them all. In other words, with the unruly, with the faint-hearted, with the weak, with those struggling, 
behaviorally, with those struggling emotionally, with those struggling spiritually. We're to be patient with them all. Be patient, Paul says. Now, this particular word for patience is the one I mentioned earlier, describing relational patience. Rela- uh, uh, patience with people, relations, uh, patience connected with love for them. This particular word pictures having a slow-burning fuse. A slow-burning fuse. Being able to restrain our frustration, our emotion in response. But the question is why? Why be patient at all? To answer that question, I want you to flip over to the book of 2 Peter chapter 3 for just a second. 2 Peter chapter 3 uh, gets very specific here on why we're called to be patient with one another. Why should we be patient with one another? Ultimately, is because it's connected to God's patience with us. We are called to be patient with one another because God has been patient with us. Notice 2 Peter chapter 3 Verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Notice what the Apostle Peter does here in 2 Peter chapter 3. He could, he, he, he's talking about the patience of God. But then he connects God's patience to repentance or to change. A principle that we see here is that God's patience has a purpose. God's patience has a purpose. God is patient with us, giving us time to repent, to change our course of action. God's patience has a purpose And then notice the second thing that Peter does here is he connects God's patience to time. This idea of slowness. And patience is heavily connected to the idea of time. I love what Karl Barth says in his dogmatics. He says, the fact that God has time for us is what characterizes his whole activity towards us as an exercise in patience. God has given us incredible time to get our act together. God has given us incredible time for this thing we call sanctification. And Karl Barth says, time, patience, characterizes God's entire activity towards us. And throughout the Bible, we see that God's patience toward us should be reflected also in how we treat one another. Time is one of the greatest gifts we can give to one another. Time. Another passage to flip over to is the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul says. 2 Timothy chapter 2, notice verse 24. He says, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, and notice, patient when wronged. 
with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Notice the Apostle Paul, similar to Peter, connects this idea of patience with time and repentance. In other words, just like God is patient towards us, he gives us time so that we might repent. So we are called to be patient with one another, giving them time. If perhaps, Paul says, God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Now so far, I'm sure all of you would agree with this. This is easy to read and understand on the page. It's a lot more difficult to put into practice. So let's look at number three on our outline and consider a few things about practicing patience with one another. I have just a couple of thoughts for you as we try by the Spirit of God within us to grow in Christ-like patience with one another. The first thing really is, is we have to begin by recognizing first and foremost God's patience with us. As we think about the call upon us as the people of God to be patient with one another, that has to be framed by God's patience with us. Often in my life, it's so easy to grow impatient simply because I forget or I neglect God's patience with me. But as we remember just how abundantly patient God has been with us, I think it's a lot easier to be patient with one another. The second thing I would encourage you to do if you sense the need to grow in patience is simply to pray for enablement and opportunity. Pray for divine enablement and opportunity to grow in patience. First of all, pray for enablement. Recognize you can't do this on your own. This is a fruit of the Spirit who is in you. This is not something in and of our flesh we have the ability to do, to be patient with one another. And so we must pray for enablement. Patience is a command of God to us, but it's also a gift of God to us. And also pray for opportunity. As crazy or perhaps in, in, uh, counterintuitive as this might sound, pray for opportunity for God to grow you in patience. And he will answer that prayer. And I would offer to you, pray for progress, not perfection. And repent when necessary. Pray for progress, not perfection. And repent when you lose your patience. A third thought I'd have for you is to diagnose the source of your impatience. When you find yourself being really impatient, ask yourself why. And I like the two categories of circumstantial patience and relational patience. Again, often in life, we're impatient because of our circumstances. We get stuck in traffic or we had a bad day at work. And sometimes in those moments, there's really not a lot you can do about it, but simply diagnosing the problem is helpful. And that then helps us, hopefully, to not take out our circumstantial impatience on people. 
But then if someone truly is the source, the test of your impatience, then I think the three categories that Paul mentions here in 1 Thessalonians is quite helpful. Am I impatient because of unruly behavior? Am I impatient because of uh, maybe some emotional issue? Am I impatient because of some spiritual issue? And then having diagnosed it, I think we can respond accordingly. Is this person behaviorally unruly? Then admonish them. Are they emotionally faint-hearted? Then comfort them. Are they spiritually weak? Then help them. And Paul says here, be patient with them all. And let your patience have a purpose. Patience isn't just throwing your hands in the air and saying, well, I guess this is the way it's always going to be. But as we patiently admonish, encourage, and help one another, hopefully that patience leads to a repentance. It leads to a change in ourselves and in those we're ministering to. The fourth kind of application or thought that I have for you this morning regarding patience is to give it time. Give it time. Often in my life, one of the reasons I grow impatient is because I don't get what I want when I want it. And the world, and God especially, simply does not operate according to my time frame. And so I get easily impatient. We grow impatient because of a perceived lack of time. We operate as though this is my world and everybody else is just in my way. But God calls us to give one another time as he has given to us. Our patience is tested in time. But like I said earlier, one of the greatest gifts we can give to others is time. So as we consider patience this morning, um, I hope that for those of you who submitted that word to me, I hope something here helps you. But for all of us, what we see throughout Scripture is that we are called as the people of God to extend to one another the same patience that God has given to us. So hurry up. What's taking you so long? I'm just kidding. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, for the patience you've given to us. Uh, As we consider uh, just your abundant patience to us, Father, we confess that we have been impatient. We've all said things we shouldn't have said. We've hurt people with our words and attitudes. Father, we know we've grown weary. We know it's so easy to give up on waiting on your timing. So, Father, we often try to take things under our own control rather than truly entrusting them to you. God, we confess that we've been impatient. We've criticized and condemned other people. We hold them hostage to our own desires. So forgive us. Thank you, Father, for lavishing us with your patience. You're slow to anger. You're abounding in loving kindness. So help us, Father, to be patient toward one another. Help us to model your patience with others. Help us to show patience to others, even those who might be difficult, knowing that we can be difficult ourselves. 
And God, I pray that in our patience, you would draw us and draw others to that place of repentance, of life change. Ultimately, for your glory, we ask and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.